0: everybody and welcome to Subject ACT. I'm Nathan Gubler and this morning we're talking Republicanism in the ACT and with me in the studio is Michael Cooney who is the National Director of the Australian Republic movement. Michael welcome to Subject ACT. Thanks
1: for having me in. Good night, Nathan.
0: (laughs) Hey sorry just mucking around with uh, all sorts of equipment in the studio. Uh, Michael uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, So um, this is actually a pretty good time because uh, the Republic debate has been revamped recently because of uh, two things. Uh, the PM meeting the Queen, uh, which was a big uh, symbolic event, uh, Michael Tur- uh, Malcolm Turnbull, um, leading the Republican movement uh, towards the 1999 referendum, and uh, also uh, Scott Ludlam having to resign from the Senate because of dual citizenship. Um, is, is um, what, what? How would you rate the um, presence of the Republic debate um, just more generally in the past couple of years?
1: Thanks, for me. Yeah, We're really keen to revive public attention on the debate and that's been quite successful in the last couple of years. I think that Australians looked at the... Um, knighthood awarded to Prince Philip is probably not the finest moment in Australian constitutional history <laughs> yeah. I,
0: feel, I feel, would that would you say that would be like the big um, reboot for the ARM that, that moment?
1: I think there's two things that have happened at the same time, one is certainly that moment uh, in 2015 when yeah, the then Prime Minister Abbott awarded an Australian knighthood to the Queen's husband was part of a period in which a couple of odd things were going on um, on the margins of politics, there was that and then the the Queensland Attorney-General of the time um, could fairly be described as a a Royalist Um, and some strange things happened in Queensland as well. So there was a bit of top-down politics action Mm. but also, really importantly, there was some um, growing community activism around around the issue. So really in a contemporary campaign like one for an Australian Republic to make this change, you've got to have both things happening at once. You've got to have some political leadership or some big national media events that kind of capture general community attention and conversation, mm. but you do also need um, individual people taking an interest in it. And I think there's a, 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 that's that's the other thing that we're seeing in republic Women and trying to drive is is conversations and campaigns and and community level
0: engagement. Mm, sure. Um, speaking of community, uh, this show is uh, devoted to talking about issues in the ACT, and I was mm. wondering. Um, because despite um, some of the talking points from um, Monica's, uh, the ACT actually did vote for uh, the republic last referendum. Is yes. the interest in the republic is it still quite uh, vibrant in the ACT?
1: Yes, we have one of our strongest branches in the ACT. So you know per head, you know, sort of um, given the population of the ACT. So there's um, strong membership in Canberra and um, strong activism too. So. A but, uh, just before I started in this new role, about uh, 10 weeks ago, we had a, a National Day of Action which involved uh, uh, individual members joining together, meeting up, and, and then letterboxing and door-knocking uh, local people who, in areas that we'd identified, as likely to include Republic supporters. Um, and so, yeah, the ACT is one of our most active branches, mm. um, and has always had kind of a national leadership role too, so I often had prominent Republicans um, from the Canberra community involved in the the republic movement and that's something we're looking to grow around the country we've got state branches and activists in every city and so on um, but really importantly we want those um, community-based groups of republicans to be outward facing kind of campaigning um, opportunities to be people who are going and talking to other people who aren't republicans yet
0: uh, and growing membership and growing support for this change and what what kind of um uh, what kind of motivations are you hearing? Is it like a sense of frustration that, um, you know, uh kind of what Peter Fitzsimon says, like it's 2017, let's move on? Mm. Or is it, um, I don't know, maybe more political reasons? Uh, what, what are you hearing on the ground? Well,
1: last century, the argument against this change was, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think people looking at Australian politics today don't find that a very compelling explanation (laughs) for anything that's happening in the world, right? Um, If it's not broke, it's certainly breaking, right? Right. Um, And so I think there's a deep dissatisfaction with the nature of the way our politics is working, um, the way our um, public discussion and debate is working, and also with um, the way in which those political and constitutional symbols kind of Speak to our national identity. There's a huge anxiety in our community about what does it mean to be Australian. Mm-hmm. What's the meaning of Australian citizenship? What's the what are the values we share? Um, how do we live together? Um, and so I think that those kind of questions lead us to look at uh, and a political and public leadership and to find some gaps basically. Mm-hmm. And we don't have an institution that brings us to, that symbolises what unites us.
0: Mm. Um uh, in my research, um, reading about Australian the Australian Republic movement dating back from um, uh, European uh, settlement um, it seems that uh, um, the question inevitably lead on to the question of national identity and Australians are always trying to struggle for uh, how to define what an Australian is compared to other countries. Other countries um, don't seem to have this problem. Do you, do you still see that as a problem that republicanism could lead to a resolution to I think Republican
1: change to our to our governing system and the creation of an Australian head of state can be part of us doing a better job of understanding each other and symbolizing the things we share yeah, yeah. i do I don't it's those are kind of in in some ways those are Perennial conversations about li- about life and its meaning, you know. Um, so it's not as if there's a kind of an answer to the exam question, what's mm-hmm. it mean to be Australian. We just kind of, you know, we'll open it in an envelope on the day we become a republic. But yeah. it does very much feel like there's something not right here, something not really working between us. And mm-hmm. um, and that is something that I think that you know, when you think in a way about the role that the Queen plays in England, where she does really symbolise, from you know, for many English people, something important about what they share and their traditions and so on. Mm-hmm. Um we don't have anybody doing that. It's not even as if the Queen does that here in a way. Because mm. it's the English crown. It just can't perform the same social function. Mm. Mm. So all we have is in our public life in a sense is politicians representing parties and punching each other in the head all day and screaming at each other on T V, which right. is their job. Like that's in a sense that's what that's their bit of the of the yeah. of the role. But there's
0: not this other thing
1: mm. um that could um yeah, they could draw together, and and people could feel attached to above and beyond party politics.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you, um, in a way, you've, you're reframing the role of the president a bit differently to what Paul Keating proposed in the '90s, which was more, um, more like what the Governor General does, um, kind of stand back and let things run as they are. And I remember you saying that the role of Governor General doesn't give any opportunity to um, comment on anything um, that might. Aid the political process. Like, is the ARM more open to more powers to the president?
1: Well, we have in mind a head of state who performs the same constitutional functions as the Governor General and the Queen do now. So we're not thinking about an American-style president, right? Yeah. Um, so we do have in mind a, a role which, in its yeah, in its kind of legal implications, is the same kind of thing as the as the Governor General and Crown. But because the Governor General represents someone, and because the Governor General is kind of you know not not is not a president and on the other hand not a not a king or what is the governor general and so on. I do think that limits the ability of that person to be a larger figure in our society right basically because there's unclarity around what the role is yeah and on yeah. what basis can they speak like who you know are they a representative are they speaking for the queen are they speaking for the prime Minister like kind of so the the nature of that role and its function is incredibly cautious and mm. it's Striking that it's either, it's traditionally been held by very, uh, not in a sense, not politically conservative, but kind of personally conservative and cautious individuals, kind of parked in a very careful way as kind of former judges or whatever. And those people have played the role as you would expect a kind of retired judge to play the role. Hmm. But even where Australia has had a more um, high profile person as a Governor General. So, for instance, right now, right? So, right now, the Governor General today is a man who was uh, the Chief of Army, the Chief of the Defence Force, the Australian of the Year. Um, and was so famous that he was the face of a VB advertising campaign right, for, right. for a while. It is a big, well-known Australian mm, figure mm. who, having become Governor General, has basically disappeared into the role. Right. I can't think of the last time I heard Peter Cosgrove say something or saw a picture of him. Yeah, yeah. Not his fault. he's working really hard, <laughs> yeah. but the nature of the role doesn't allow you to be a large person in Australia. Mm. Um, and so in turn, all we're left with is celebrities and sportsmen and politicians playing a role in our public space Yeah. rather than an Australian president having some kind of role to speak for us and to us and about us and on our behalf, but also a role to you know, bring us together and to represent. You know, I think about um, uh, there's a flood in Queensland and someone needs to go and visit the, the survivors and mm. make them feel like Australians are watching. And so the Prime Minister goes up there. Um, whoever and whoever the prime minister is, 49% of Australians are sitting on the couch going, oh, "I'm going to meet Cameron, do your job." Right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that's not great, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, which is again, which you know, again, is no criticism of the way any prime minister particularly plays their role when they go into a flood, fine. but it's just kind of in the nature, the nature of it, you yeah, know. Yeah. So it'd be good if we had someone who, like, it's fun being the prime minister at a grand final. <laughs> But um, <laughs> but it would be nice if there was someone in our public life yeah, who half of us didn't want to boo, yeah, you know? Yeah yeah, 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 just one person. <laughs> not, you know? there's still going to be 150 MPs <laughs> and 76 senators who we can boo. But it'd be, nice. I just think we could probably have one person. Yeah. So that I I do think
0: there's something in that that would be good for Australian society. Yeah. Do you hear much hunger for an American-style presidency? I I think George Christensen is in favor of something like that or is it there's
1: always been some interest in that in Australia yeah, yeah. I, I um, but it's not it's not a serious feature of the present campaign no. yeah. uh, and I think that um, the appeal of the American system is probably not as high as it was no, um, right yeah. um, you know last October yeah. um, so there's a bit of that, a bit of that in community attitude to it now I think most Australians want to preserve and certainly the Australian Republic movements you know campaign is to maintain our parliamentary system of government. Uh, functioning in the way it, it fundamentally does as a as a structure. Yeah. But to add to it this sort of stronger institution which would which would provide the
0: kind of more glue basically between between us. Mm-hmm. Um I was going to say that uh no I lost that train of thought, but I will comment on uh we might as well talk about how the queen or the monarch is uh chosen mm. because uh and a lot, most people would know you're kind of born into the role mm. for instance but a lot of other people aren't aware that uh catholics aren't allowed to be in the role of the monarch Correct. Uh, atheists uh muslims uh everything uh everything that's not anglican you're not yeah. allowed because the uh the monarch also is the symbolic head of the anglican church Correct. is there is there a lot of concern around i don't know um that removing the monarch as the head of state would be a move uh, in a secular direction?
1: You're right that the Queen of England or the King of England who in turn becomes the Queen of Australia by you know, automatically can't be anything other than a member of the Church of England mm. um, up until recently, up until like the last two years they couldn't marry a Catholic, uh, they, was, yeah. They, they, yeah. They, they were specifically ruled out of
0: that. Um which is kind of a leftover from the Reformation. Mm. Um, and Princess Charlotte has only just been bumped up the queue uh, a couple, as of a couple mm. of years ago because of um, rules that uh, disadvantage women.
1: Correct. Yeah. So it's um, if you had uh, so if the Queen has a number of children. Um, if her it used to be the case that if her oldest was a girl and then she had a boy and then she had a girl and then she had a boy, that the order was boy, boy, girl, girl, regardless mm. of the order of their birth. Mm. Now it's only the order of their birth, right? Yeah, yeah. Still, rather random allocation yeah. of privilege. <laughs> of course, <laughs> but it's only, yeah, yeah. but it's removed one sort of deliberate and explicit injustice yeah, from the yeah. otherwise random allocation of this privilege. Yeah, right. Um, it sort of, in some ways, it illustrates the absurdity of the whole hereditary, hereditary principle underlying the thing. But yeah, right. no, you're right. It is a the the English crown and by extension the crown in Australia is this. Institution which is based on first of all hereditary privilege, and then secondly, it's explicitly kind of anglocentric and uh, religiously exclusive. Mm, mm. Uh, And uh, that's, I think, very problematic for Australia and Australians. I don't think that symbolises our traditions, or certainly doesn't symbolise our best traditions and Mm. the ones that we want to foster into the future. Mm. Um, And so, in turn, uh, it would be better if we had a person who, as the Australian head of state, who was open to be, for instance, an indigenous Australian mm, or yeah. an, or a person not born in Australia yeah. um, but ultimately a person whose allegiance is to Australians in yeah. uh, Australia uh, and that is something which is you know, clearly lacking from the present institution in fact, quite yeah. the contrary, it's explicitly not allowed to be that
0: Yeah, um, and I mean, obviously it should be made mentioned as well that the reason that we have um, the Queen of England as the head of state is because um, the continent that we're on was uh, invaded by European forces and uh, that kind of remains a symbolic uh, residue of um, that that mm. moment in history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was going to comment about uh, we'll go back to the presidency issue of uh, um, the powers and all that. Um, part of the uh, roadmap to the republic is a plebiscite that um it was in 2020 where yeah. people will get the choice between having a uh, two-thirds majority parliament elect the president or a popular vote um is it still as split in that way uh, the, the the grassroots uh as it was back in the 90s
1: i think that it's still some of the people have different opinions about probably something where i think the passions have cooled since the last century and the last referendum and Republicans now I think believe that we need a republic and we should let the people decide how a president's chosen and then move on together supporting whatever comes out of that process. So I do yeah. think there's a, a commitment to accept the, the, the voice of the people about this question yeah. So yeah, we, What we propose is that in 2020 you would have a national vote where every Australian would vote on two questions. First of all, do you want an Australian head of state? yes, no. Mm, mm. And secondly, at, and at the same time, you'd also vote on how would you like the Australian head of state chosen? Oh, okay. So basically elected or appointed, right? So these would be asked at the same time? Asked then? at the same time. Oh, okay, again. right. Yeah. So then then once you've had that vote, if the vote is yes, we want an Australian head of state, and also Australians say they want an appointed or elected president, however whatever comes out of that, then you've got 18 months to two years to prepare all the proposals for specific constitutional change to put all that in place yeah, and then you have a national vote in 2022 yeah, which would be a vote to amend the constitution to create an Australian Republic of the kind that right. Australians have said they want in that yeah. first national
0: vote. Yeah. Will there be a more public debate about um, the pros and cons of um, both ways of electing the President?
1: Undoubtedly yeah, yeah. that's kind of part of, the, part of the goal in a way is to have that conversation in 2020 and the lead up to a national vote about that question yeah. so that then once you're putting a question to the people for constitutional change, two years later, mm. that people have already had a chance to think a lot about it, and yeah. the arguments have been have been ventilated. But also, so that the, the, I think it's really important that there's a kind of popular ownership of the way the presidency is going to function. Mm. And so yeah, it, the whole idea is to have a more democratic constitution. The whole idea is to have a more uh, have some of which Australians control themselves. Mm. Um, and you can't do that from top down. That's got to be. You know, from the from, from coming from the people, so the reason for having a national vote in 2020 is really to allow people to to allow the people to own this process and to control it rather than having mm. it controlled by like, the parliament or other leading players.
0: So, are you expecting that to be just a debate that naturally occurs, or the ARM uh, facilitate a debate? Like, um, I know Peter Fitzsimons, for instance, has uh, said that he prefers the parliamentary vote. Mm. Um, uh, will the R A R- I- M uh, facilitate?
1: Touch? Yeah, well, yeah. so there will be members of of the republic movement who got who prefer either or both, or, right. the, or, or who don't yeah. think it's an important distinction. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so the A R M will campaign for a yes vote on the question of should Australia have an Australian head of state, and the A R M doesn't have an official position on which. Which kind of head of state we should have, as between appointed or elected? Mm, right, so we'll yeah. be there to kind of encourage the argument, yeah, right. um, and to push along, and then to take up, you know, the day after the referendum to start campaigning for whatever Australians have chosen. Mm. Uh, and that's really the critical point. So that's going to require, but you know, for over the next three years to get a vote like that happening in 2020. Right, yeah. That requires us both to prod political leaders to make a commitment to do that, and also for us to grow membership and to grow activism and to run. You know, letterboxing and door knocking and telephone calling and you know canvassing on on public transport stations and all the rest of it. Right. To yeah. Push that conversation along at a community level, while also encouraging the prime minister and the opposition leader to support the change as well.
0: Sure. Uh, I'm speaking to Michael Cooney, is national director of the Australian Republic Movement. You're listening to Subject ACT. I'm I'm speaking to Michael Cooney, who is national director of the Australian Republic Movement. As of only two months ago, have you found the role so far?
1: Fantastic. It's yeah. great. Yes, I've been. I started you know, eight weeks ago, and it's a really uh, active and inclusive movement. It's a good opportunity for me as a Canberra person to get around the country a bit and meet activists in, in Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. And over time, I'll get get beyond those three capitals as well. Mm. And it's a really um, a project with some uh, energy and momentum behind it. So over the last two years, there's been a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, good group of uh, national campaign staff and and lots of lots of really dedicated volunteers. It's a really exciting mix of uh, long-term dedicated volunteers have been doing it since last century, and on the other hand, lots of young uh, and older people who've joined in the last two years. So mm-hmm. there's quite a um, an expansion of the possibilities of this role.
0: I think yeah. that people see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What kind of mistakes have the uh, Australian Republic movement learnt from the failed 1999 referendum?
1: I think the biggest questions that you have to answer to get a change like this are, first of all, do you have political leadership in place at the prime ministerial level prepared to pursue the change, Hmm. and then secondly, do you have a unified, outward-looking, outward-focused Republic movement to support the change? And really, if you think back to last century, neither of those things were in place. So the Prime Minister, by the time of the referendum, Prime Minister John Howard, uh, was campaigning against the change. He allowed the referendum to happen, Mm. um, but campaigning against the change. And then secondly, Republicans were divided over the question of how the President should be appointed. So in that referendum, the change proposed was that there would be an appointed President, Mm. um, a President appointed by the Parliament. Uh, and there were certainly republicans who thought they hadn't been given a fair go in putting that together uh, and who in turn wanted uh, a no vote for that change so they would have a chance later of a mm. of a, a an elected president yeah so i think those those are the two conditions basically political leadership and a unified outward focused movement <laughs> uh, and probably in truth in the in the last referendum nearly 20 years ago now neither of those things were quite present mm. on the other hand today i reckon they're both likely to be present really like um certainly republicans have learned that Know, the, the, the model has to be chosen by Australians and then we have to support it but secondly there's um, a generation of political leadership on the national stage that uh, is really engaged by the question mm-hmm. um, quite an unusual opportunity the Prime Minister and the Opposition Leader are both Republicans that doesn't always been true also the State and Territory Premiers and Chief Ministers are all stated supporters of a Republic mm-hmm. uh, Premier Berejiklian in New South Wales uh, Premier Hodgman in Tasmania, both Conservative, but both LNP or Liberal Party premiers are um, both Republicans. In fact, mm. Will Hodgman's had a long, in, a long involvement with the movement um, directly. And the Labor premiers and Chief Ministers are supporters as well. So there's an mm. opportunity there. If the, the political leadership is there if, if um, uh, we need to persuade them to sort of have the courage of their own convictions in a yeah, way. Yeah. But secondly, when well, there's an opportunity for Republicans to. Uh, Join basically. Like the 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 critical thing, I think, is that I'm not so much persuading at the moment at this stage of our campaign with a national vote three years away. The critical thing isn't persuading people who are unsure about the issue to change their mind and become Republicans. I actually think the critical thing for our campaign is to persuade people who support change to actually sign up and be part of the campaign. Yeah, right. So yeah. get online, join. Um, become involved in, in activism and so on, that's actually the critical change and I think it's that transition, not so much persuading undecided people but getting people who are decided to be, to, to activate as part of the campaign and to, mm. you know, go to arm.org.au slash join um, yeah. and go there and join and become part of the movement. I think that's actually, the, if we can build that, yeah. it, there's a positive relationship between that kind of transformation and political leaders recognising that something's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and So the, both those things will rise up together.
0: Yeah. Um, I was reading about the um, the referendum in the 90s and um, there was a lot of uh, talk on the re- Monarchist side about... Uh, there was a lot of anti-elitist sort of mm. rhetoric from the Monarchist side. And as we've seen across the world, um, that rhetoric is probably even more potent than it was mm. in the 90s. Um, but then I noticed uh, Peter Fitzsimons trying to reframe that the elitist side was actually uh, the moniker's. Do, do you still see any, like... Any danger in that sort of talk uh, for the Republican cause?
1: You're right. It's a good analysis of the, ca- of the last campaign, you know, as long ago as it was. But there was this effort to paint uh, preserving the crown as a yeah, as a populist yeah. cause. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but you know, yeah, like, uh, worked, yeah that's it, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like son, you got balls, you know, like, <laughs> like you got you got to admire that. Um, and sometimes it's something that bold that works. Yeah, um, and it's not enough just to laugh at it. We've obviously got to engage with it. So, yeah, in turn, of course, part of yeah. the solution to that is, Republicans is the the Republic campaign has to be a people's campaign. Mm. Um, it has to be a campaign driven by conversations between Australians, um, and certainly we know that while part of part of my role and part of the role of the Australian Republic Movement is to raise money and to put on big events and to get prime ministers and opposition leaders to give speeches, driving things along, that's that's a bit of our job. The much larger part of our job is helping republic members and supporters have have conversations with undecided people, mm-hmm. um, and you know basically you can't address a. A problem like that um, of, of a perception of elitism, well, you've got to address it in substance rather than in perception. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's critical that we actually are a, a grassroots movement and in turn mm. behave that way and show that way. Yeah. Um, but also, I do think that the probably the grain of truth in that uh, perception last uh, century was that. The way uh, was that the model that was being put to the Australian people had been chosen basically by a series of votes at a constitution, mm. uh, sorry, at a constitutional convention. So like they had a meeting of mm. 200, you know, mostly famous people yeah. um, in Old Parliament House. They all had a ball. Yeah. They all felt very, very engaged and included in Australian decision making. Yeah. Um, there was another several million Sorry so Michael, we've run out of time but <laughs> and We won't know. do it that way again yeah. is the point we'll, we'll give Australians a choice, you know, that's
0: the key change Thanks for listening to Subject ACT I've been talking to Michael Cooney I'm going to put up a link for the Republic uh, website, the AIM uh, Thanks Michael for speaking to us Absolute pleasure